The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. This past fall, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving to be exact, I woke up in the morning, got out of bed, or rather tried to get out of bed, put my feet on the floor and I nearly fell to the floor. Internally inside my head is as if there was a sideways slot machine spinning over and over and over again. This lasted for 15, 20 minutes and continued on and then I felt like I was getting sick to my stomach and I joked to my wife who fortunately still was home, at least when I used to drink I knew why the room was spinning and I wanted to throw up. I can often use humor to defray to defer scary feelings. And the truth was, I was scared. And I asked her, would you drive me to the emergency room? And she did. And the spinning and the sick to my stomach feeling still continued. And so they took me in for an initial assessment, take my vital signs. And then they wheeled me back out in a wheelchair into the waiting room as they waited for a medical bay in the ER to open up. When I got out to the waiting room in the ER, I saw my wife, which I expected to see. She dropped me off and then went back out to the car to find a place to park, except the form that I found her in really surprised me because she was sitting there in the waiting room, also in a wheelchair. You see, she had been experiencing abdominal pains all throughout that morning. And while I was back getting my vital signs taken, she got to the point of her pain where she was just doubled over. And so she asked to be admitted and checked out as well, too. And so we sat there in one of the more surreal mornings of our marriage. And we've had a few of them. Um, feeling every one of our 47 years on this earth, each of us sitting side by side in our hospital wheelchairs. They took me back. They found a bay for me. They took her back. They found a bay for her to be examined. Um, Eventually, they ruled out through a series of tests the really scary stuff that might have been going on with me, you know, something going on with my heart, something going wrong with my head, my brain. Uh, they found out it was vertigo, indeterminate cause. Still don't know what caused it to arise. They gave me some medicine that, as they explained it to me, actually doesn't treat the vertigo. It actually just calms your brain down to keep it from freaking out as the room is spinning. I was okay. And so I was able to go and check on my wife. They thought it might be her gallbladder. And they found out her gallbladder was totally fine. But in the test that they took, they found something else. They found something that looked odd or off on her liver. And they wanted to keep her for more tests. Now, I was just telling you about my kind of benumbed brain when I got these words, it's like a knife went right through it. And you know those hospital beds, especially in the ER, they're really narrow. Well, while we were waiting for her to get more tests, we just laid down next to each other face to face and started talking. And at times talking about nothing at all. Just being there with each other as we waited for the tests to come. Eventually they took the tests. They found out that what they saw was a thing, but it was a totally benign thing. And she's fine. And I am too. (sighs) 
big breath at the end of a scary medical day. A core inspiration for this series being Refuge that our worship leader Chris Chappelle and Reverend Lee and myself have been offering over this last six or so weeks now. Actual inspiration for it comes from a hospital bed. It comes from this person, this teacher. Some of you might remember when I shared his picture with you. The last Sunday in October, when we do our annual Day of the Dead service, All Souls Day, when we construct a beautiful, profoundly, heartfully moving altar of memorial for the people that we have loved and lost. And I shared the story of Aaron Lee with you. Aaron Lee, who first was not known as Aaron Lee to, I would say, perhaps a few of us. He was known as the blogger Angry Asian Buddhist, (laughs) who wrote about the underrepresentation and the misrepresentation of Asian communities of Buddhism within the West, within America. Because I think when many of us hear the word Buddhist or American Buddhist, we will immediately get an image of a white 30-something person who's in perfect health who is searching for the exact right organic product at Whole Foods. (laughs) But what Aaron Lee said is, no, there's a community of people, hundreds of thousands of people within America who are Buddhist and Asian. And he spoke for these communities saying, we are here and we matter as well too. And no one really knew who Aaron Lee was in the blogging community as Aaron Lee until he announced that at the age of 33, he had been diagnosed with an extremely rare and most likely fatal cancer. And Aaron Lee shared his identity with his readers. Reverend Lee, in her message last week, talked about the role that taking or offering refuge has within many spiritual traditions and particularly within Buddhism. Aaron Lee eventually, within a year of his diagnosis, lost his battle with cancer and has died. Aaron Lee, in his hospital bed, his hair all gone, his eyebrows all gone, decided to commit even more deeply to his Buddhist faith and to be refuge for everyone who came to see him. And so he would ask his medical care providers, the people who were coming to see him, he would ask them, what's your experience with death? What are you afraid of? What do you hope for in your life knowing that you're going to die? And people would sit down right next to his hospital bed and they would open up their hearts. And Aaron Lee, whose time on this earth was rapidly coming to a close, knew that he was offering the kind of refuge that he wanted to see in the world. In this story, I remember that the root of hospital comes from the word hospitality. Radical hospitality. Greeting each other, greeting our lives as is, with the full spectrum of our experience. The truth is, whether it's what my wife and I experienced, where the day ended with good medical news, or 
the days that Aaron Lee experienced, which did not end with good medical news. All of us, at some point in this life, are going to be exactly, exactly where he was and where my wife and I were. Many of you have already been in these places. When the unexpected news, when the sudden twist of fate hits, and where you feel potentially a trap door has opened up underneath you. Radical hospitality is refuge in these situations that allows us to meet our lives as is. This doesn't have anything to do with, by the way, uh, fatalism. Life sucks and you die. Or masochism. Suffering is good. Thank you, sir. May I have another? (laughs) Please remember, Aaron Lee, my wife, myself, we were getting medical care, the kind of medical care that everyone should have access to. We all wanted to be well. And still, refuge, radical hospitality. We're talking about the larger life, a loving life that lives and occupies a huge territory very often many of us don't see on the other side of all of our effort. The opportunity to meet our lives as is with whatever is happening. This radical hospitality certainly lives on the other side of a phrase that um, a professor of mine recently used as she's training us to be good clinicians, clinicians who can be with people, not the experts because none of us are. She says, we all have to learn to restrain our writing reflex, (laughs) not, but writing reflex. I know what's wrong with you. I can fix you. I have the cure. I have the solution. She says, if we're ever going to be any good at this stuff, we have to restrain our writing reflex. I know what's wrong. I can fix it. No, we don't. We can see this, I think, in uh, uh, Facebook posts. I know I participated in this. I'm really trying to restrain myself. Someone will check in and talk about, you know, I'm, I'm struggling or I'm feeling ill Or life has got me down. And pretty soon they will have 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 comments telling them what they should do. Oh, I took this. I visited there. Now the thing is, if someone asks for help, wonderful. There's even a little thing on Facebook right now that says specifically looking for recommendations. But so often we rush in. And just offer help even if it's not asked for. Instead of saying, maybe first, I'm so sorry. What do you need? Asking. I'm with you. None of this has to do with fatalism. Please hear me. Giving up. I mean, I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister who is in social work school. These are two of the most social justice, social change-oriented professions that can ever be. Until and still, the refusal to let someone else's life or our own be as is gets in the way all the time. Sometimes it comes from a justifiable desire to help. We all want to be of help. We all want to be of service. Sometimes, for some of us, it comes out of ego. Or arrogance. I think most often it comes out of fear.
fear that the people we love are struggling or suffering and we are so afraid that they will be overwhelmed or we will be overwhelmed by their fear that we will just be washed away. And so we find ourselves following that writing reflex and maybe saying really awkward, unskillful things like, it's not so bad. At least you've got this over here. Brene Brown has this wonderful thing. America's social worker, this, this, this wonderful thing. She says, watch any statement that begins with the phrase, at least, when you're talking to someone who's struggling. Or any of the other myriad ways we have of denying someone else's or our own distress. It is understandable that we want to help. But when we give in to that writing reflex, the cost is that we can habitually turn away from what actually can be our greatest source of strength. And just speaking personally, the most profound source of refuge I have ever received or given, which is our basic loving presence, a profound form of trust. Trusting refuge actually takes more confidence (laughs) than it does to go with the writing reflex or to think we can fix it. One of my favorite stories about trusting refuge comes from this person, from Kate Bastrop. She had a best-selling book called Here If You Need Me. Kate is a Unitarian Universalist minister and chaplain to the game warden service of the state of Maine. Kate tells a story that I'm going to share with you now, a beautiful story of refuge. It begins when she is having a conversation with Nina's mom. They are in Nina's mom's house, and they're looking outside at Nina, who is five years old, hanging upside down on the swing set of her house, her pigtails brushing the ground back and forth. And Nina asks Kate, who she knows is a chaplain, what should we do about Nina. She wants to go see her cousin Andy. Kate says, I should tell you that Andy is dead. Andy was four years old and Nina's best friend and has been killed in an ATV accident. What should we do? Nina really wants to go see Andy. But she's so young. Kate says, I can't tell you what to do. But let me tell you about my experience. Part of what Kate does is she is a chaplain, especially to what she calls the baby game wardens. (laughs) The training game wardens who haven't been out in the field yet who haven't just enforced the fish and wildlife laws in the state of Maine, this huge rural state where people are outside a lot, but also have to show up very often for bereaved people, people who have lost someone to suicide or homicide or an accident or a drowning. And understandably, these newbie game wardens feel like, you know, they have to fix it. And Kate shares her story with them as part of this training. See, Kate's husband a number of years ago was a state trooper, Drew, who was killed instantaneously one day when he was hit by a car. 
They had three children at that point between the age ages of three and nine. And Kate was absolutely certain of one thing. She wanted to go and see Drew's body. She wanted to go to the funeral home and dress Drew's body. She wanted to be with his body and express her love. And she said this to the funeral director. And by the way, I think Kate is absolutely right about this. There is a tone that funeral directors take. Yes, I understand. And that day, the funeral director was on the phone. They don't understand it all. Um, on the phone to the leaders of the Maine State Police saying, you've got a widow here who wants to come and spend time with the body of her dead husband. As if to say, she should not be allowed to do this at all. And the phone calls went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all night long until Trooper Tom, who knew Drew and knew Kate, showed up at Kate's door the next morning and said, okay, we're going to allow you to do this. <laughs> but if we sense anything going wrong, we're going to take you out. <laughs> and Kate has this image of herself like guns being drawn in the funeral home with her being <laughs> taken away. And the truth is, Kate says she didn't feel at all confident. She didn't know exactly what to do. She just knew she felt this pull to be with her husband's body. And so she was, escort, uh, she was escorted by a phalanx of troopers to the funeral home. And she went in first, not feeling confident, but summing up all the courage she could. 20 minutes spent with her deceased husband's body. And she said it was beautiful and sad and necessary. And she said what she really wanted to do, and she needed help for this, so she invited the other troopers in and, and her mom as well, too, was there attending to her. Uh, she wanted to get Drew's body into its Class A uniform, which is an incredibly stiff, starched uniform. And she said it takes you a long time to put an uncooperative body into a Class A uniform. But they all did it together. And she said it was gorgeous and sad. And she tells the story to these baby game wardens about how to be and how not to be with people who are bereaved. And she says... You know, not all of them are going to be swayed by a personal story in their training, so she will tell them about the story that they might know from growing up in Sunday school about Mary Magdalene going to wash and dress and prepare the body of Jesus after he had died. And that she did not have to justify her distress to skeptical disciples. And that in this age, as opposed to that story, it is the presence of the body rather than its absence that causes the most fear and trembling. And it is Kate's absolute experience, and I believe her with this, is my experience as well too. Most often what people regret is not seeing the body of their loved one rather than the pain of seeing it. Back to Nina and Nina's mom. A few days after that conversation, they saw each other again. It was at Andy's funeral. Kate had been invited to perform, to officiate the funeral. And she saw Nina's mom up there on the altar before the service was about to start on a little table 
arranging flowers, Tonka trucks, and holding a little space in the middle where Andy's ashes would be kept during the memorial. Kate went up to Nina's mom and asked, how, how is Nina and what did you decide to do? And she said, you know, my husband and I went back and forth about it. He said, she's, she's so young. She's only five. Can she handle it? And I said, but she really, really wants to. She wants to go see Andy's body. She wants to be with him. And so we decided that we would bring her. And we drove up and we opened the door outside the funeral home and she bolted out. And we stopped her just before she got to the doors in the room where Andy's body lay. And we just wanted to give her some final caution. You know he's, he's not going to be able to get up. And Nina said, yep, yep. You know, her parents said, he's not going to be able to talk to you. Yep, yep, I know. And they opened the doors. And Andy's body laid there on the dais, covered in a quilt that his mom had made for him. And Nina, at first, didn't say anything. She just took a full circle around Andy's body, her cousin, her best friend. And then she went right up to his body. And she laid her head on his chest. And she started talking to him. And she started singing to him. This went on for about 20 minutes. And Nina's parents were just completely puddled. (laughs) And they said, well, Nina, maybe it's time to go. And she said, no, I'm not ready yet. (laughs) And she took out something she had been carrying in her pocket, which was a Fisher-Price telescope, one of Andy's toys. And she put it in Andy's hand. And she said, here, now when you're in heaven, you can look out on any of us whenever you want to. And she said to her parents, Andy is sleeping. And he has his favorite quilt. So I need to tuck him in. And she went all the way around Andy's body and tucked him in and said, good night. I love you, Andy Dandy. And she was ready to go. Kate Baystrip says, and I absolutely agree, you can trust a person with their grief. You can trust a person with their grief. Kate says, grief is just love squaring up to its oldest enemy, which is death. And after all these countless years of being human, love is more than up to the challenge. Kate says, now I have confidence because of Nina. And so do we. There is confidence in refuge 
Actually, I think the most unshakable confidence there is. When we extend refuge, when refuge is extended to us as is radical hospitality, no conditions, we become that refuge ourselves. And refuge begets refuge. This isn't about, I know it's wrong, I can fix it. This is also isn't about, by the way, keep calm and carry on stoicism. <laughs> we can trust each other with our grief. And we will find a heart broken open by and with limitless love. I didn't grow up Catholic. But I love Ash Wednesday. Coming up this week. That singular teaching. Remember, thou art dust, and to dust thou shalt return. Amazing, isn't it? That we are this animated dust. That we are breathing dirt. Spirit and clay. Inspirited. Amazing, isn't it? All the pain and joy and wonder and loss and heartbreak and love. Just as is. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Spirit, may our tears and our hearts be a sacrament. A sacred offering that calls out, that reminds us there is only one great matter, the matter of this life and this death, and that it can awaken us at any moment to remember what is most important and can remind us, call us forth into this life, how we wish to greet this moment so unexpected, so full of surprise. May our tears, our hearts, our love be a sacrament that we offer and a sacrament that we receive. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.